Hi everyone, my name is Jessica Pan. Yeah, I identify as she, her, hers. I am currently an MPH student at Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. I am a gun violence prevention advocate and also global health advocate. And a lot of what has brought you to CWA is your work on gun violence. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of give me a brief overview of um, what you've done there? Sure. Um, so after the Parkland shooting last year, I have a partner in this. Her name is Maddie Wren. Um, we felt like, so she's a medical student and I'm a public health student, so we kind of have this perfect synergy of working together. She gives me the perspective of, you know, frontline workers who actually have to see gun violence every day, and I can understand gun violence on a population level and bring in the research side of it. But after the Parkland shooting, we really felt like there was this energy within the student body and there was no action that was really taking place um, at the medical campus. And as future healthcare professionals, we saw that there was this duty for us to speak, be advocates for patients and really see gun violence as a public health problem. So we set up a town hall um, during public health week. There were five to six students that came. Um, we sat in a circle. Sorry, there was probably like 10, 10 or 15 students that came. We sat in a circle. Everyone went around, talked about um, why they came because they it was under the theme of gun violence and how we wanted to see change on our campus. Um, and everyone shared uh, what they wanted to see. And we, so our first step was organizing this photo because I was on Twitter and I saw that um, a lot of medical schools across the US had held signs that said, gun violence is a public health issue and take a stance. So we did that, but we wanted to take it another step and because a photo is just a photo, right? Like after everyone takes it's a photo, it's like you feel like you did your job and then you go on. Just like we talked about this in a panel yesterday, just like the whole scrolling thing, you read an article and then you just scroll. So the action piece came in um, over the summer where we created a working group of uh, four to five students across Columbia University. So we had law students that were in our working group. We had nursing students, public health medicine to organize a gun violence action week. And the Gun Violence Action Week had an interprofessional lens because it is very important, I think, as future healthcare professionals to understand that we talk about team-based care and we and we talk about interprofessionalism in where healthcare should be. It's a lot of people are involved. It's not just the physicians and it's not just the nurses. There's physical therapists, there's occupational therapists, there's physician assistants, there's a lot of behind the scenes. So, um, and then there's also law that, that we may not understand that's designing the system that we're working under. And so we created this week um, highlighting all of those aspects. And I had written an op-ed to talk about my personal experience with gun violence and why I'm drawn to this cause and also to promote Gun Violence Action Week. And that was the article that was stumbled upon by the organizers of this, converse, of this conference. 
and that's how I got invited here. Right, and reading the article, uh, it's titled, mm. Not Just a Shot in the Dark, My Quest to End Gun Violence. Mm -hmm. um, you start off with this gripping um, anecdote of you being uh, a research associate at mm -hmm. UC Davis Medical Center. Mm -hmm. um, and this isn't related to the Parkland shooting, this specific one, mm -hmm. um, but you, you just kind of bring very quickly in the reality of you don't know if gun violence victims are going to live or die. Mm -hmm. um, what what has your experience been like um, being in that research position, being in positions where you are interacting with gun violence victims? Because I think a lot of people mm -hmm. don't actually know that many mm -hmm. people who are. Mm -hmm. um, so I was in college when this happened, so I was your age. Um, and I grew up in Silicon Valley, which is not somewhere that you see a lot of gun violence. And so for me, it was my first shift in the emergency room. And um, the patient that I speak about in the article, um, he, he was my first encounter, but there were a lot more other patients throughout my two years in the emergency department where I've seen unfortunately die from gun violence. And so I think as a researcher in, in that position and in the recess room, there is this sense of hopelessness. Um, and I think that hopelessness, it doesn't just stay in that um, recess room. It follows us into this work where we are advocating for change and we devote so much of our energy and time to this issue and sometimes it does feel like there isn't that much happening and, and there isn't that much progress. But, um, but experiencing it firsthand, I think it's in any line of work, whether it's gun violence or you know in the internet, in the global health work that I also do, it makes the numbers tangible, right? It's like we've talked throughout this conference that we are all just emotional beings at the end of the day in, in this experience together. And when you lock eyes with a patient or um, at UCSF, I also worked in the emergency department and I've seen nurses and physicians have to deliver the news to family members and I've seen mothers break down outside the emergency room because of these senseless deaths. It, it, it brings that passion, it brings that face, um, yeah, it brings that person really into those numbers that as researchers I think we forget. And I think sometimes the term public health crisis is thrown a lot around yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, both as kind of like a political talking point mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. or just as you say like, oh, it's a public health crisis. I like or share this and then I'm doing my part. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of make it more clear for me what in this circumstance a public health crisis means as opposed to like a breakout of like Ebola or Zika or mm -hmm. like an infectious disease in mm -hmm. a pathogenic way in that way. I don't know mm -hmm. if you if you find that gun violence is similar to that or if it's a different sort of crisis. Hmm. I'm not sure about 
um, the crisis part because I think we talk a lot in public health about how the word epidemic is just being thrown around a lot. So then you, when you, when you, you know, have your issue and then you say it's an epidemic, you start, um, you're like competing with all the other issues. And there's so many issues that are really important and everyone thinks that their issue is really important as well. But so when I think in the, throughout this conference, um, how I've explained wh how it is a public health issue for gun violence is to really understand gun violence as a spread of a disease and as violence as a contagion and not as an individual behavior. So in a lot of the work um, in public health and epidemiology and also at Columbia, Dr. Fagan is a law professor that was one of the first people who modeled gun violence as an infectious disease. So for me, um, my research and, you know, what I'm passionate about is, is not the 0.3% of mass shootings that happen. It point, uh, sorry, 0.3% of gun deaths are mass shooting. Um, around 56% is suicide and then 40%-ish is, is homicide. And so I'm looking at the within homicide and then also understanding that gun violence is an issue that happens um, within certain neighborhoods and within so certain social networks. And, and the spread of that violence when there is one that happens and how we can, if we can understand infectious disease with the medical and with a medical and scientific lens and we apply it to gun violence, we understand that if it's spreading from person to person, there is a way to intervene and to prevent this from spreading. And there are certain, inter and so we, I talk about this in some of the talks of, if you look at a, we have something called an epidemiological triad. There's um, a vector that is carrying the agent to the host, and then you also have the environment. So you had, so we talk about malaria, right? So in malaria, um, the host is us, the agent is the parasite, and then the vector is the mosquito that's carrying the um, agent to the host. And then you also have the environment that you can you can combat malaria with. And changing the environment is you know spraying DDT or having bed nets rather than just controlling the actual vector of like, oh, I guess DDT is really killing the vector, the mosquito. But, you know, bed nets is this way of changing the environment to also get to the same root cause of preventing malaria. So if you look at gun violence through that lens, then the agent is the bullet. The vector is unfortunately still us. Um, and then the vector is the gun that is carrying the bullet to the person. And then we have the environment. So in my research and um, in really understanding gun violence and what we can do moving forward is, how do we change the environment to decrease violent crimes, especially if we know that it's happening in certain neighborhoods, right? We know that uh, there are there in more deprived neighborhoods, um, there's urban bite spaces where these gun, these illegal guns may be hiding. So why not just green green these 
spaces so that they become, we know that if there's more sidewalks, if we improve the environment, that's not just only decrease in violent crime, people can be more active, they feel more safe outside, and then you're also now preventing a lot of chronic diseases from happening. And so, I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I never really thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think of, oh, let's address gun violence through red flag bills, mm-hmm. um, which are maybe uh, even a bit more on the addressing suicide than homicide um, right. sort of uh, region. What else do you do to address um, homicide with kind of changing the environment? Um, and also, how, mm-hmm. do, how does that tie into changing the conversation? Because like you say, only about 0.3% of gun deaths are mass shootings, Mm -hmm. yet they get the vast majority of media coverage. Mm. I think, um, I'll answer the latter question first. I think the Parkland students have have done a really great job highlighting that this is, there's everyday gun violence. Um, there's that amazing, I don't, I can't remember her name, but there's, she was like 10 years old and she spoke at the Washington March and now she's like part of the Ellen show um, and she spoke about about um, how it, it affects communities of color way more than it so a black male is 15 times more likely to be shot at than a white male that is a crazy statistic right So I think how we change the narrative is understanding our privilege. It's a privilege for us to be sitting here and discussing these issues. It's a privilege for us in academia to be, you know, diving into these problems and exploring it and trying to brainstorm ways of how to address it, whereas the communities who are really facing this are just trying to live day to day, avoiding getting shot at. So it takes time and it it takes education, it takes awareness, it takes conferences like this to really leverage that and and when you if you do become a gun violence researcher, which I encourage a lot of the younger generation to do, to also when you're a scientist to also do that other part of bringing awareness and being an advocate and educating and and maybe that can really change the conversation. And then your first question was about other ways. Um, so I am. I think mentorship is very important. And if you look at these neighborhoods, um, there are let's say there more. There's more single-headed households, right? Like a lot of a lot of times in in neighborhoods where there is a lot more violence, maybe it's that these adolescents don't have things to do in the summer that are productive. And what we can do is create summer programs where they're where they can learn leadership, where they can learn coding, or they a lot of it is just access to resources that more affluent neighborhoods have. So if we don't want to change the physical environment, then let's create a pipeline for it for young adults in impoverished neighborhoods to be able to have the opportunity to change their lives. And some people have uh, termed 
the the disproportionate impact of gun violence on communities of color, low income communities, um, as structural violence, mm. um, and yet the, de- the like the gun debate of how to manage, um, how to like how people want to manage guns um, mm. on a on a societal level still stays very politicized. Mm-hmm. Um, what are things that you've done or that you're seeing other people doing um, to maybe make the debate less politicized and more um, grounded in the reality of what's happening? Mm. I, I, I do like that question because um, I really don't like to get political about this. Um, I am a very science and, and data-driven person, so I, I like to speak about just the science aspect of it because I think there's more on the policy side that I can really understand, but it's something I need to take more time to to, to really dive into. I guess um, about gun ownership that I've shared throughout this conference is one of the town halls that we had, which was with community members as well as um, people at the School of Public Health, there was a man who had spoken and he said, I am a gun owner um, and I think, and, and I loved that he was there because I think in a lot of the conversations that we have in academic institutions, that voice isn't represented and if we want if we truly want progress we also need to understand the other side and what does it what does the value of a gun mean to you so that we can work together and find ways because nobody wants gun deaths right like nobody wants accidental shootings of their children and um and so the better we can understand both sides the the we can negotiate and find this middle ground. So he had spoken about how guns are actually passed down from generation to generation in his family. So guns is not just this this weapon. It is it, it, it there's an identity piece that's tied to it. There is um this family and values piece and how he paralleled it that connected to me was jewelry that's passed down from generation to generation and families and so when we can understand how why gun owners may feel um, attacked when there are these these different policies that may make them feel like someone is going to take their guns away we also have to empathize and realize that to a lot of gun owners like it is that jewelry and do we want and there is that generational piece so so let's um yeah let's find a middle ground i guess and there's got to be a lot of secondary trauma in your job Mm. um, and (laughs) in the jobs of all Mm -hmm. sorts of uh, health workers that work with gun violence, study mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. How do you mitigate that for yourself? So I was um, I was on a panel yesterday about numbness to tragedy where we, we touched on a lot of this. We can 
talk about self-care which is also I feel like this term that has been um, popularized by by social media and pop culture right everyone thinks like let me go get that manicure and let me go do a hot yoga class you know I'm I'm practicing self-care like that's it but what what it comes down to is self-compassion actually so it's that voice in your head when you want to do something but you feel guilty about it and so for me in this work and and reading even just reading medical records or I mean reading medical records is really painful but also then also reading studies um, I have to read a lot of studies about domestic violence and about um, pregnant women which um, homicide is actually like one of the leading causes of death for pregnant women and so it is I think it's first it's creating barriers between you and the work and understanding that if you feel like there's a lack of progress in in the cause that you're passionate about is not an attack to your character and what you've done change it takes time and if you're able to create that space for yourself then you can show up every day as a better researcher as a better frontline worker and the self-care piece is individualized right self-care looks different for everybody if you're self i am i practice hot yoga so for me self-care is hot yoga and i understand that that is what has also been popularized but maybe for self-care for you is watching that really bad television show right and if that is it do it it's not always about working out it's not always about eating healthy it's about doing what you love that will distract you from something and allow you to enjoy life like life is supposed like as like yeah as activists i think we forget we're so entwined in the issues like people are always mad but you also have to enjoy the simple things and and practice gratitude and um and not feel guilty if you have to take a nap <laughs> yeah well said thank, thank you. you so much for joining me jessica thank you for having me